Man, I'm so glad that you're here. Super, super excited that you are. We are on a journey as a church. If you're new to Summit, we're on a journey that we're calling a restoration journey. And that is that God wants to restore this church back to reclaiming its origin story. What God had in his mind 43 years ago when he called this church into existence. Redeeming our pain. Lots of churches have pain. A lot of them try to hide it. We have a significant amount of pain in our 43 years. We have no interest in hiding it. We believe it's a redeem- part of the redemption story of God as he redeems our pain. And third is to restore us to our purpose, like give us a fresh sense of our call of mission in the world. We believe God's going to do that for us as a church community of faith. He's going to do that by doing that in each of our hearts as well. And so I believe that we're going to enter in this season of January especially as we focus on how God restores the human soul. That's what we're going to talk about for these four weeks in the book of Nehemiah. And uh, man, I hope that you will lean in and make room for God to speak to you in a very personal and strategic way. God wants to redeem and restore us. Here's how it kind of goes. You are this brisk tea can. This is, if you don't drink brisk, this is the nectar of the gods. This is the, this is better than soda pop, Cokes, whatever. Uh, This stuff's good. 60, I think it's 60 calories a can, 70, not bad. And uh, this is you. Now, you're already dented at conception because the Bible teaches a concept called original sin, where already in your DNA is the sin of your fathers and your grandfathers passed down from, from the Garden of Eden. And so already you enter what the Bible would call full of iniquity or bent. But then you get into the world and the world turns out to be not such a friendly place at times. So let's say, for example, you know, when you're a baby and you don't want to go to bed. And they put you in the crib, and they say, you got to go to bed, and then they shut the door and leave you. And you cry, and you cry, and this is a thing called crying it out. I, we have five kids. I don't know if this is the right way to do this or not. Maybe I had bedwetting kids because of this. I don't know, but you're in there in the crib, and uh, you're crying, and they let you cry for five minutes, which is an eternity when you're a baby. And then they open the door, and they say, hey, I love you. We're still here, but you got to go to sleep. And they shut the door and you cry some more. And it's just, a, you realize, even as a little baby, I'm on my own. Like there's going to be times where I cry and nobody's coming. And then as you get into childhood, you get on the playground at kindergarten and somebody calls you a name or, you know, or if you have siblings, my oldest brother, I had all the playground torture I needed right in my own home. Uh, then you go through school and maybe you have your heart broken by a friend, maybe an adult, Uh, in your life, someone who you were supposed to be able to trust, betrayed you, hurt you, maybe even worse, you've gone through uh, heartache in relationships, maybe a marriage that did not work out. Then you go through, maybe there's a challenge that is a mental illness challenge. Maybe you find yourself confronted with mental health battles, and you just take dent after dent after dent after dent, and some people have had such horrific experiences It feels like they've been crushed. And now here's you. And you find Jesus. And Jesus says, I want to restore you. But it's not like just pulling this thing apart. It's more like he wants to make an entirely new you. Somewhere on here it says, please recycle. And the Lord wants to recycle you. He wants to restore you. Now, I have a personal belief that he doesn't want to return you to this pristine shape with no scars. 
I really think he wants to restore you where you still bear some of the marks of your journey because people need to know that you're not perfect for you to have a voice in their life and for God to even speak loud. He, he, somebody said he whispers in our prosperity, but he shouts in our pain. And God wants to shout through your life a redemptive message to the people around you. So two things are true. One, God wants to restore you to wholeness. Secondly, he wants you to be a, uh, a comforter, a source of restoration to others as you are on your journey of restoration. You know, uh, we talk about spiritual formation, and the truth is, uh, you were being spiritually formed since the day you were conceived. What God wants to do is reformation, because you've been formed in some broken ways. You've believed some lies. You've inhaled some messages about your identity. You've begun to trust in things that are not trustworthy. You've, uh, you've translated the messages of your life into personal messaging that you've taken to heart, and God wants to redesign and reprogram all of that and restore you. Really, I'm saying restore your soul. Well, it turns out that the book of Nehemiah is an incredible story of the restoration of Jerusalem after 70 years of exile, but it's also a template for how God restores the human soul. Now, we're going to cover this in four weeks. I would normally take 10. So we're going to do this in kind of an abbreviated way, but what you're going to find is you're going to find that the same way that God restored Jerusalem, who he spoke to, what he set up, how he chose to maneuver, these are the same ways that he wants to maneuver in your life to restore you. So let's dive in. Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 11, which is the entire chapter. And uh, we're going to dive into this template of restoration. Today's going to be kind of a high-altitude introduction to this. And in the next three weeks, we're going to get down to some specific and powerful ways that God wants to restore parts of you that continue to, to hurt from brokenness, that continue to be maybe a little bit enslaved, continue to be a little bit lost. And I think there's great news for you in this process. And I believe God is going to do a great work in us individually, in our homes, and then in us as a community of faith. This whole restoration journey has a powerful mission at the end of it, both for your life and your oikos, but also for us as a church right here in this community and around the world. Okay, so Nehemiah chapter 1, it is our practice here to stand for the reading of God's Word, if you're willing and able to do so, and here we go. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, 
I will scatter you among the nations, but if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. That is the word of God. You can be seated. Thank you so much. Our big idea today is that God is restoring you to wholeness. This is not something you have to ask for. This is not something you have to beg for. This is not something you have to hope will happen. Ever since the cross, God has committed himself to restoring you to wholeness. You may be completely unaware that he's at work doing this, but he is. And what we're going to learn is how to participate in God's restoration process of bringing us back to wholeness. And Nehemiah is a perfect template for this uh, because Nehemiah, his name means consoling breath of God. That's what the name Nehemiah means. And he's a picture of the Holy Spirit in this reconstruction role. Now, what had happened is these uh, Israelites had been exiled because they were unfaithful to God and the Babylonians took them captive. They are exiled for 70 years, but some had been able to return and they actually were commissioned to rebuild the temple. So what was happening in Jerusalem was the temple had been rebuilt and they are worshiping God back in the temple. Worship has been restored. However, they're in a mess. So first I want to talk to you about the common state of God's people, the sad and unfortunately common state. Nehemiah asked these guys, tell me how it's going. And they said, well, the people who have returned there are in great trouble. This is verse 3. They are in great trouble and disgrace. This is who they are. Now, I want to show you, this is a picture of so many of us Christians who we have come to Jesus. Our sin has been forgiven. We embrace that, that God loves us, that he's forgiven us. And the temple in our heart has been restored, and we are worshiping God. We love God. We believe we'll go to heaven when we die. We think that our sins have been forgiven, and yet we continue to be in trouble and disgrace. Those words, trouble, is attached to the word iniquity or depravity, and that is that we're still being owned by the depravity inside of us, and we're a disgrace, which is to say that we're being mocked. Uh, another word is under reproach, which means that the enemy and enemies are in some ways laughing at us because even though temple worship has been restored, we continue to be slaves in certain parts of our lives. We continue to be addicted. We continue to battle uh, despair. We continue to not know how to navigate wisely in relationships. We continue to fail in so many ways in our life. And so while temple worship has been restored, our life is not uh, attractive. It's not whole. It continues to be owned in some ways by the activity of enemies and wounds and scars. And this is unfortunately the, the state of many people who come to faith in Christ. And what I want you to have a little bit of hope in your heart for is that God has more for you than that. God doesn't say, hey, tie a knot in the end of that rope and just hang on till heaven. I'm sorry it's hell on earth, but you'll get to heaven when you die, so just keep looking for that and hold on. He has way more for you than that. He says, let me go in and start to restore 
what God is doing. So uh, let's talk about the two ways that they're in disgrace and trouble. First, he says the walls are broken down. The wall is broken down. Now, a wall in Jerusalem, the walls, and in the ancient world, the walls were huge. I'm not talking about your six-foot privacy fence. I'm talking about huge walls that would secure the city. And walls are important because they are really boundaries. And so what we have first with Christians who are struggling is we don't have a clear sense of identity. When you think about walls and boundaries is the term that comes to mind, you think about having a healthy sense of who you are. When your walls are down, enemies can climb right over, you have no boundaries, you don't know who you are, and this is unfortunately the state of a lot of people who don't have a sense of who I am. So my identity is not anchored. I don't have proper boundaries. Now, when you study boundaries in the psychological world or counseling kind of world, a boundary means I know where I end and you begin, and I do not lose myself in you. And I don't look for my identity from you. I know who I am. And uh, this clear sense of identity. My good friend Chuck Stecker says that this identity comes from knowing who I am and whose I am. I'm a Texan raised by a couple of teenagers who went through horrific trauma as kids. And there's a whole lot of corresponding craziness in my upbringing. I know who I am. I know where I came from, but I also know whose I am, that I'm a blood-bought son of the living God. I've been redeemed and Christ lives in me, right? So you, you have to grow into understanding who you are. If you don't have a rooted, anchored sense of identity, your soul will start searching for one. And you'll search for one through athletic prowess, or you'll search for one through wealth, or you'll search for one through some other person. Maybe you can give me an identity. Maybe you can tell me who I am. Or you'll search for one through relationships or work, uh, all kinds of ways, sexual activity and, you know, just chasing experience after experience, trying to find out who you are. It's a prison. It's horrible. And God wants to restore your soul so that you know who you are. Well, this requires walls, boundaries that are clear. I know who I am. The second problem they had is that their gates have been burned with fire. So gates are a, a, a picture of access and egress. And when your gates are burned with fire, the enemy has free range to come in anytime he wants to and do damage and leave. And so uh, this is the second problem a lot of Christians have is we continue to be, you know, really just whipped in the butt by enemies that we actually have authority over. But because we don't know who we are and because we don't have proper gates in our life, the enemy is just coming in, coming out wreaking havoc, creating chaos, and doing a lot of damage in us because we can't shut the gate and keep them out. So these are the two big issues of a worn-out, damaged soul where you truly are worshiping God, but you can't figure out why you can't kick that sin habit. You keep worshiping God, but you can't figure out why every relationship you touch goes to trash. You keep worshiping God, but you can't figure out why you don't have peace in your heart about who you are as a human being. These are the state of, unfortunately, I would say the majority of Christians because we haven't allowed and participated in the redemptive, restoring work of Jesus deep inside of us. Our word for the year this year is integrity, which is about integrating the whole truth of God into the whole truth of me. And I become, to have, I become whole because the work of God is taking place in my, in my entire soul. 
So this is the mission at hand. I want to promise you, if you walk with Jesus by the power of his Holy Spirit, and you anchor with God, and you participate in the work of God deep inside your soul, there is restoration for you. There is a, 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 there is a call from God, an invitation from God for you to reclaim your origin story, that you're an image bearer of God made to rule on the earth and exercise dominion and live victory with God, that you can redeem the pain that you've gone through. Some of it you did with your own two hands. Some of it was done to you, and God wants to redeem that pain. My favorite image is where the devil has you down on the ground, and he's got his foot on your neck, and he thinks, I got you now, sucker, like those movies, right? That's what the devil will say to you. I got you now, sucker. And that very place where the enemy thinks he's going to destroy you permanently, God's redemption and restoration take place so beautifully and powerfully that the place he thought would ruin you actually becomes the spring of life to the people in your oikos because they see the redemption of God in such a painful place. It's beautiful. This is what God has for you. And what we're going to learn over this study of Nehemiah is how God does that work and how we participate in it. So what's going to happen is he's going to restore your soul. What is my soul? Well, the word soul in the New Testament is uh, the Greek word psuche, P-S-U-C-H-E. And from that word, we get the word psychology. Your soul is that inner man or woman. It is the core of who you are. It's how you see the world. It's how you operate in the world. And it's made up of, we typically would say three points, your mind, your will, and your emotions. But I like to break that down. I think it was Dallas Willard who broke that down even further. So here's your soul. Your mind, which is your intellect, the way you process data, the way you see the world, the way you think. Then your memories, what you have been through, what has happened to you, what you have done. And those memories create narratives. And you embrace those narratives and you interpret those narratives almost always in a destructive and negative way. Your imaginations, which is the way your mind thinks about the future. God wants you to have incredible, robust, faith-filled imagination about your future. But typically, we expect doom. We're pessimists, and we expect bad things are coming. So our imagination, and then your, your will. That is the seat of your action. The decisions you make and the actions you take are expressions of your will. You Take a step because you chose to. You might feel like you didn't think or choose, but you just took a step. But you, you did that. And God has given you agency to rule over your will. And then the last is your emotions, which is how you feel, how you respond, what goes on inside your emotions. Emotions are wonderful gifts from God, but they're terrible, terrible taskmasters. And so when you see in your whole soul with your mind and your memories and your imagination and your will and your emotions, what's going to be required there is redemptive work from God that retranslates everything you've been through and discipline from you to trust God and walk in newness of life by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can live in victory at the soul level. So uh, God's going to do miracles in you, and God's going to call you to use your agency to bring discipline this is the spiritual disciplines or being a disciple. All of that has the word discipline in it. And so uh, God's going to invite you, teach you, train you. He could give you a fish and feed you for a day, or he can teach you how to fish, and you'll never hunger again. And this is what God wants to do. He wants to, he wants to help you in a crisis to get through the crisis, but he also wants to make you really strong. 
He wants to make you understand what's going on at the soul level, who the Holy Spirit is at the soul level, and what he wants to do in you. As I mentioned, Nehemiah, is his name means uh, the consoling breath of God, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And watch how he reacts in verse 3 when he finds out this story. Verse 4, when he hears the news that God's people have restored worship, but they're in great trouble and disgrace. He responds in verse 4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. This is the work of the Holy Spirit going on for you right now. Jesus taught us this, that he was going to go to the Father and he would give us the Holy Spirit who would teach us all things, guide us into truth, that he would intercede for us in ways that we can't even put to words, that with groans and, and moans, God translates that by the Spirit and actually intercedes for you in accordance with the will of God. So we have a partner, we have a, a helper named the Holy Spirit who works in us to both desire and do the will of God and to reconcile all the damage at the soul level that has been done to us, that we've done to ourselves, and to find our way to wholeness in Christ so that not only is worship restored, but my boundaries are intact, I know who I am, and my gates are secure. The enemy has no free access into my life, and I live in the freedom and security of Jesus himself. Man, that's the promise, that's the goal of what God wants to do in your life. So that leads us to how does this happen? Like, how do we participate uh, in this? And you see as the prayer that we read from Nehemiah that he's interceding and he's praying and he's asking God, hey God, remember that these are your people. Remember that you promised that if they called out to you, even after being knuckleheads and being stupid, if they call out to you, you will answer. So the Holy Spirit's telling the Father, answer God, respond. So how does that happen? Well, we're going to go to chapter 2 now. We're not going to read it, but I, you will in the 21 days of prayer. And I really encourage you, jump into this. Starting tomorrow, you can go to our phone app or to our website and see the link to get the reading plan. That way you join it with us and we go through it together. Every day there will be a little video posted by myself or one of our staff or elders encouraging you that day. And we want you to just be... Uh, walking this road together through Nehemiah. So I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you. I'm just going to point out some things to you about how the Holy Spirit wants to work in your life. And again, this is just the starting blocks so that we build some anticipation and we start knowing how to engage. In chapter 2, uh, Nehemiah, it, it, you saw at the end of chapter 1, he says, I was cupbearer to the king, and the last part of his prayer was, give me favor with this man. Nehemiah is cupbearer to the king, and what that means is that he brings the cup to the king, and uh, actually, he tastes the, the drink so that if the, somebody's trying to poison the king, he'll be poisoned. He's a very uh, trustworthy, it's a very intimate relationship he has with the king. And so he's going to go to the king, and he's going to ask for permission to respond to the needs of Jerusalem. No one is allowed to ask the king for anything unless the king summons them and says, I would like to hear from you. So it's already a gamble for him to speak up to the king. He's also very upset. For days he has mourned and fasted and prayed. He is upset to the bones about what's happening in Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit is upset for you. He wants you to be free. 
But as he goes to the king, no one is allowed who serves the king to be sad in his presence. No one's allowed to bring any discouragement to the king. Oh, how I wish I was a king. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if nobody was ever allowed to bring you a bad attitude or a, a negative? I mean, that would be awesome. Well, that's the way it was. And any servant of the king who came in the presence of the king acting depressed or sad could actually be imprisoned or executed. So he's asking God, help me now because I'm going to stand in the presence of the king and I'm going to try my best not to be overwhelmed with sadness, but I'm going to ask for the moon here. And so he goes before the king and the king says, you look sad. Red flag number one, a little bit nervous. You look sad. This could be nothing more, nothing other than brokenness of heart. What's going on? And he says, how could I not be sad? My people my people have returned to Jerusalem. They've restored the temple, but they're in trouble and disgrace. And the king says, what would you like? And he says, man, I want to go on the job. And Nehemiah is going to ask for the moon to go and participate in the restoration of Jerusalem. This is the Holy Spirit going to the Father, going to the king, King Jesus. Jesus is the one who said, I will leave you, but I will give you the Holy Spirit, the comforter who will teach you everything in my name. He won't speak on his own behalf. He'll speak on my behalf. So you have this relationship of the Holy Spirit to Jesus uh, and then the mystery of the Trinity that God is all, he's one God, and yet he's demonstrated himself in these three ways. And so the Nehemiah is going to ask the king for specific ways he's going to help you. And I want to just finish today's conversation by giving you three promises that show up in this chapter two in his conversation with the king of why you can have confidence that the Holy Spirit's at work in your life, why you can trust him, and why you can lean into his redemptive work in your life confidently, okay? First is found in uh, verse 7. He said, I said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so they'll provide me with safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. The first reason you can trust the Holy Spirit is that he's been given authority. The king authorizes him to go on this mission. He's going to pass through lots of governmental territories on his way to Jerusalem, and he has letters from the king that he's authorized by the king to go there and to do this thing. No one's allowed to disrupt his mission. No one's allowed to tell him he's not authorized to be there. No one's allowed to um, um, uh, deport him from their country. He has authority from the king for the task which he has been given. And I want you to know, man, this is what the New Testament teaches us about the Holy Spirit. He has been authorized by God. The Greek term for him is he's your paraclete, which is he's your comforter. He is one who comes alongside and helps you. And so uh, many of you have already a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Some of you do not. And I'm going to encourage you to pursue a relationship with this third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He's been authorized by God. He has authority to help in the restoration process. In uh, Galatians chapter 3, Paul asked the Galatians a question. He says, you foolish Galatians, Having started by a work of the Holy Spirit, are you now going to finish the work of God by human effort? And this is, the, this is what's going on in a lot of our lives. You can't have eternal life without a work of the Holy Spirit. You can't know who God is without the Holy Spirit revealing him to you. You believe, as I do, that when I die, I'm going to go right into heaven. I'm going to be standing in the presence of God. God has forgiven me. God loves me. I believe that because the Holy Spirit has revealed it to me. And I have been redeemed by a supernatural work of God, not by the will of men. I've been born again by the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And so Paul's question to us, and this is the great question for us as Christians, will you partner with the Holy Spirit to finish the work of God in your life, or will you lean on your own effort and your own brain and your own try, uh, you know, to make that happen? You foolish, foolish Christians. Having begun by being born again by the Holy Spirit, are you now not leaning on the Holy Spirit anymore and trying to do all this in your own power? I got news for you. You're not strong enough. You need God's work in you, and you need him to live and move in you. And he's got authority to do it from the king. The second reason you can have confidence is this promise in verse uh, 8. And he said, may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he'll give me the timber to make the beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for its residents and, uh, and for the house that I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my request. So the second reason you can have confidence is the Holy Spirit not only comes with authority, but he comes with resources. He comes with everything you need to rebuild and restore your life. He is allowed, Nehemiah is, to go through the king's forests and to have them harvest timber so that every material he needs, he already has. And here's what you're going to see. I'm going to forecast here for a second. When we get into the actual rebuilding of the wall, the wall is made out of big stones, and it's just been bulldozed. It's just debris everywhere. Some places, the debris is so high and so broken <laughs> that you can't even ride a horse around it. It's just chaos. And what God rebuilds the wall with is the debris. So the Holy Spirit's not bringing new, new wall material. He's bringing new gate material. Your wall, your identity is going to be rebuilt from all the debris that's sitting around you right now. And this is why this is a deep work of God that goes into, it integrates into every part of who you are. Because God wants to take all that debris and build a new identity out of it. He's going to give you security and wholeness and a wall. And so the second reason you can have confidence in the Holy Spirit's work in you is because he comes with authority, but he also comes with resources. Everything needed for this job, he comes with in hand. You don't have to worry about that. And the third promise is in verse 9. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. And the king had also sent me with army officers and a cavalry with me. The third reason you can have confidence is because the Holy Spirit comes with an army with a cavalry. Like, it doesn't matter how big the enemy is who doesn't want you restored, and there is an enemy that doesn't want you restored. But no matter how big he is, no matter how much authority he has in the fallen world, the Holy Spirit comes with armies, commanders, officers. You have every resource you need materially, and you have every resource you need spiritually with an army of God to see this work gets completed and that the enemy cannot stop it. This ought to give you incredible hope. God has not, Romans 8 tells us, God has not given us a spirit of slavery again in fear, but he has given us a spirit of adoption where we cry out, Abba, Father. So what the Holy Spirit is going to do in your life is he's going to lift up your head because you're looking down at all this debris and you're looking down at this thing, you, the sin you can't seem to kick and the habits you can't seem to break and the destructive patterns around you that you can't seem to find. He's going to say, stop staring at that. And he's going to lift up your head. And he's going to say, look at me. Look at me. I'm on the job. I have authority from the king. I have resources, boundless resources for everything we're going to need. And I have armies with me. 
We are going to rebuild. You're going to hear Nehemiah say later in chapter 3, come, let us rebuild together. And so that's what's going to happen for us is God's going to lead us in this restoration rebuilding process and we can trust him. I just want to finish by just reminding you this. It's weird to end on bad news, but in verse 10, he says, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. There is an enemy. The Bible tells us about this continuously. There is an enemy who's very, very disturbed that God wants to rebuild you. And he will, and you'll see Sanballat is a perfect picture throughout Nehemiah of the enemy's efforts to stop the rebuilding work. And he's going to use tactics that Satan actually tries to use in our lives too. So you're going to learn a lot about the enemy's tactics and how they can fall short because of the power of the Holy Spirit and your discipline with him in real time. Man, I hope you're heart is hopeful. I, what I, what I, I seek only one thing today, and this is our response, that you partner with the Holy Spirit, that you decide that you're going to trust the Holy Spirit, that you're going to ask the Holy Spirit to bring his authority, to bring his resources, and to bring his army, and to start the rebuilding process in your life. You can't do this on your own. If you could, Jesus would never have needed to die for you, but you can't. That's the bad news. The good news is you don't have to. You follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. You follow the word of God that gives you guidance and wisdom, and you allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in you as you live obediently and powerfully in intimate relationship with him. He's got all the resources, all the authority, and he's got the armies. You can't lose. Man, not only can you not lose, you're going to win. All of that damage, all of that debris is going to be transformed. And the glory of God is going to be revealed through your restoration. That's true of Summit Church as a group. And that's true of you as an individual and as a family. We are going to participate together in a great rebuilding of our lives, of our faith community, on mission with God. Man, it's awesome. Okay, so here's your two responses. First, and we're going to give you a moment here. Karis is going to lead us in a song. Actually, she's going to sing the song. You can sing along if it's helpful to you. But we're going to create a moment here for you to have this first conversation with, with God, the Holy Spirit. And you may say, well, that's weird to pray to the Holy Spirit. Well, then pray to the Father and ask the Father to pour his Spirit upon your life. Jack Hayford was a big hero to me. His entire life, adult life, he started his day the same way. Slid out of bed, land on his knees, and prayed this prayer. I bow my knees to confess that I'm a servant of the Most High God. I lift up my hands and pray, come Holy Spirit, fill me this day that I might glorify Jesus. The secret to our living with God is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to us. To comfort us, to come alongside us, to empower us, to equip us to fight for us, to resource us, and to do his great work in our lives. So first response, invite him to do so. Invite him to awaken your mind. Here's what you may not know. He's already been working in your life. He's prompting you. He's working around you. He's guiding you. You just might not be aware of that. So what you want to do is become aware 
You don't have to beg him. You don't have to ask him. He's doing it. Just become aware. Holy Spirit, show me where you are. Show me what you're doing. Let me participate. So Karis is going to do this song. The second response is to participate in this 21 days of prayer. Carve out some time and keep nurturing this relationship with God over these 21 days, reading the 21 days of reading through Nehemiah. Let's go on a journey together, huh? Let's, let's watch God do something profound in our lives and in our community of faith. Man, it's in his heart. I believe it in my bones. So uh, I'm going to pray for you. And as I finish this prayer, Karis will start this song. If you want someone to pray with you, you can move to the sides of the room where there are two prayer spots. You can go there and ask somebody to pray with you either about this conversation or about whatever's going on in your world. Our prayer volunteers are deeply committed to God moving and answering your prayers. So they're available to you. If you decide during this song you want to go get prayed for, you just step to either side. There's also communion elements over there. So if you want to kind of connect to God through taking the bread and the cup and celebrating the sacrifice of Jesus for you, you can do that as well uh, on the side of the room. If you want to kneel at a cross, we've got a cross over here on this wall. You could kneel in front of that cross if that's helpful to you. Let's ask God to start the work in us and make us aware of his presence and power in our lives and lean into that. Let me pray for you. God, I'm so grateful for your, man, your eternal supernatural commitment to our redemption. You cannot rest that the world is broken and you want it restored to you. And that's true for us. So Lord, I pray that you would give us an incredible confidence in the will of God that is our redemption, our restoration, and our return to mission with God. Man, put a fire in our bones and a hope in our hearts, I pray. And as we explore a relationship with you, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will move and you will give revelation, you'll give insight, you'll give wisdom, you'll give comfort. Do your greatest work in us right now as we lean into your presence and help us to trust you. I pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus, our resurrected King. Amen. Amen. Now reflect and talk to the Lord. You can stand or sit, sing or not sing. But spend some time right now asking God to pour his spirit into your heart and to teach you how to walk with him each day.